This morning's Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27, and can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1780, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Here we go. I might just use a different stand, I reckon, if that's all right. Beautiful. I'm on. Uh, keep your Bibles open there. And as you uh, do that, there's an outline of where we're going in our, in our leaflets. So, uh, who has ever run in a race? Who's won ever a race? Anyone? You know, who's lost? You know, we, we, we all know the feeling of winning and losing, don't we? Um, what would you say you're currently winning at in life? I mean, let's be honest, we, we just love winning. Uh, I don't enjoy losing. I'm sure there's no one here who does. Um, but isn't it true that as you think about all aspects of life, we sort of go through winning and losing in all sorts of real and felt ways, whether it's in sport, education, work, relationships. We've just come through a referendum where there were supposedly the winners and the losers. Who of us hasn't experienced that exhilaration and relief of winning at something or the sheer disappointment, that, you know, just being gutted, of losing at something when you've just invested so much time and effort and, you know, working towards a goal or a dream and it just, you know, you've arrived or you haven't. A couple of years coming out of COVID, how would you sum up the last year or two in terms of wins and losses? Been more wins, more losses. If you're willing to admit it, what goal would you say you are currently most striving toward to come out on top as a winner? Is it for you or maybe it's, it's wrapped up uh, with someone you most care about, a spouse or, or your children? For the parents and the grandparents here, don't we ride the roller coaster of our children's wins and losses along the way? <laughs> like feeling every hit and, and uh, I mean, who of us 
don't want our kids to be winners in life. Who of us hasn't sat with our children in tears, consoling them when, well, just things haven't gone the way they'd hoped? At the moment, thousands of Year 12 students will be opening um, you know, their ATAR results and uni acceptance letters in the coming weeks. Now, that's the culmination of not just years of study by then, but years of intentional, thoughtful sacrifice from parents and their teachers, isn't it? See the teachers nodding. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we joyfully do it though? Because you just, you just want to see them win. You want to see them do well in this game called life. What I've tried to do is just get us in touch with the emotional roller coaster that is wrapped up with wins and losses and people that we love and care about. Because welcome to this sort of emotional roller coaster of hopes and prayers and fears and anguish that the Apostle Paul was feeling when he penned this letter to his Christian children in the faith in this city called Corinth. The men, women and families in this little church that he'd spent 18 months preaching and planting a few years back. Just like a parent or a teacher trying, hypothetically, to get said students to maybe focus a little more with study, you know, a bit more urgency, wouldn't hurt. Year 12 exams are coming. Do you realise what's at stake? <laughs> well, that's what's going on here in this part of Corinthians. Jesus' apostle, he's urgent that they might realise the consequences of certain attitudes and behaviours in their church. To realise what's at stake for others, but also for them, when they die and find themselves standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, where they will either hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant, or the shocking words, away from me, I never knew you. See, how do we run as winners between the cradle and the grave? Paul's message is that while only Christians can run knowing, knowing that we, we will be saved, as a Christian, we can run knowing that we will be saved. But we're also to run in light of this knowledge for the sake of the gospel's progress in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around us. And especially for not yet unbelievers, so they also might be saved. We heard that, didn't we, in that passage read out. So just that first um, chunk, have a look with me, verses 19 to 23, doing whatever it takes to win souls. Verse 19, what does Paul say? For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. See, Jesus' apostle, he's trained himself to be a servant of everyone in order to win some. In the same way that the Son of God, who is the most entitled human ever to walk this planet, the one who most deserved, had the right for us to honour him, love him and worship him. This most entitled one came though not to be served, but to serve, he laid down his life voluntarily as a ransom to save many. In this, this part, verses 19 to 23, just, just have a look, cast your eye over it, you know, just simple comprehension, what stands out to you. Did you, you pick up Paul's gospel intentionality? You can't miss it. 
Five times in four verses, Paul says the reason he thinks and behaves the way he does towards everyone is that I might win some. That I might win some. What does he mean by win? Well, verse 23, that by whatever means possible, I might save some. For Jesus and his apostle Paul, when you look at life and death through the prism of the gospel, life is binary. A person is either saved, being saved, going to heaven when they die, or they are not yet saved, as I like to frame it. Because while there's breath in the lungs, there's hope. (laughs) We persevere. For Paul, as for Jesus, a person has won in this life if Jesus recognises and receives uh, him, uh, if Jesus recognises them when they cross the finish line. Now, the other thing I just want you to notice in these verses is, notice Paul doesn't talk about God saving them, God winning them, that I might win some, that I might save some. You might like to do that this week in group or as a family. What does it feel like when you put your name in there? You are the I. Does that currently capture anything of the vibe of your life? The, the gospel intentionality with which you're living your life. We're making our decisions, our choices as we, as we bump into look and do life with um, yet to believe. Um, you know, family, friends, neighbours, people we, we work and play with. So this is the thing that's really like shirt-fronted me the last couple of weeks is, you know, I, I probably saw it before, but, you know, we, we forget stuff, don't we? <laughs> I'm forgetful. So it's like, it's just I, 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 I. This, he's just driven, driven by saved, not saved. His whole life. Now, I think we can express, and I'm sure that you're doing it already here as a church, is gospel intentionality in, in simple ways. You know, um, prayer cards or just a bit of paper, writing a few names in your Bible or whatever, um, so that, you, that they regularly get prayed for. Um, things like, you know, we're having, um, you know, friends over, you know, these great friends from church, you know, always just thinking, well, who are some non-Christian yet-to-believe friends we could also have it over as well? Don't even need an agenda. Christians, non-Christians hanging out together. God has a knack of just doing stuff, you know. Um, things we started in, in, the, in when we started down at Brighton. Every church meeting, we always began with one minute, with everyone just going around the meeting and just not, not talking, but just praying for someone who they knew that wasn't a Christian to set the vibe of this is what we're about as a church. It's why we plant churches. Um, starting or finishing off as small groups, always praying or talking about um, you know people who are in relationship who who are yet to believe there are simple things I think we can do just to build this gospel intentionality this I into into all that we do as Christians but did you hear the apostles bigger motivation there verse 23 and this is the other thing that's really I think um, yeah I just encouraged but also got us thinking about a few things that I might share in the blessings of the gospel so what's driving Paul is, is he, wants, he wants there to be in heaven with all these, not, with these you know, not non-Christian people to become believers so he can share in the blessings of the gospel with them, but also in life. It's what, you, it's what we're doing now, isn't it? We're here gathered, reveling, reveling in the blessings of being saved, of, of, of the gospel. 
What are they? Well, chapter 8, verse 3, that we live each day knowing that we are known and loved by the true and living God. When were you last bowled over with the simple thought, God knows me? He doesn't just know you, he knows you as a child of God, beloved, precious. It's the peace and joy of being set free from the slavery. You know, that slavery of always having to prove yourself to others, prove your worth, keep up appearances to be, to be accepted, to, to make your way in life. It's being set free from the treadmill of, of worldly idols, which, you know, the, chapter 8, verse 4, are, are nothing anyway, according to uh, Paul, of being a slave to material masters. That there's another way, it's the way of the gospel. Christians sharing in the blessings of the gospel, getting out of bed each day, just knowing that everything that matters about the day and tomorrow, it's, it's already been taken care of for you by Jesus. Running life's race to the death's finish line, whenever that's going to be, knowing that because of Jesus, you are already running that day as a winner. Jesus' last words on his cross, it is finished. Finished. We don't contribute to our salvation one, one iota. Your place in heaven is, is hid, it's kept there safely by Jesus. So running already as winners, running with our eyes looking to Jesus, who like that cheering parent, waiting at the end of the lane, you know, come on, come on, you can do it. You know, and then they're running, they run into your arms, you know, they've crossed the finish line. Waiting to welcome us and, and to take us home to heaven. That's Jesus. Now, as Paul thinks about, well, okay, we're saved and safe, we're running as winners, but how do we run as winners? How, how do we do that in the context of our relationships? You know, love God, love neighbour. How do I do that as a Christian? How do I love my neighbour well? Non Christian neighbour, Christian neighbour. How do I do that well in this world? Well, verse 20. To Jews and those under the law, Paul knew and taught that a Christian is no longer under any Old Testament laws. They're under the grace of the gospel, Romans 6. Despite being cleansed of all sin and presented pure and blameless, not by trusting in the Jewish law, but by trusting in Jesus alone, in order to win Jews and those under the law, the book of Acts records Paul continuing to participate in the Jewish purification washings and rites. But here's what I found sobering. I hadn't appreciated this. Possibly the clearest example of what Paul means by becoming as a Jew and as one under the law to keep the door open and to preach and win them for Christ is the description of his 39 lashes that he suffered at the hands of the Jews in 2 Corinthians 11. He chooses, he, Paul continually chooses to not use his Roman citizenship rights so if you're a Roman citizen, you weren't allowed to be lashed by, by anyone else but a Roman. But he, he didn't make the most of those rights to save himself from being lashed. He submitted to the Jewish synagogue discipline to maintain Jewish connections and to keep the door open uh, so he could preach in their synagogues. Now that he submitted to this punishment not once but five times in the course of his ministry, not only shows his medal... <laughs> But doesn't it reveal something of the extent of his enormous love for his people to be saved? Doesn't it reveal something of just 
how controlled and dominated he was by the love of God, the sacrifice of Jesus to save him. What gospel of love has the power to cause someone to love like this? To give up all their rights, all their entitlements, to be willing to suffer the shame for the salvation of those flogging him and trying to kill him. Does that sound like anyone else? Fair to say, Paul walked the talk of the gospel of servant love. He preached, he lived out the words, he embodied the message of the cross. Great integrity between his life and the message he preached and believed. He lived out Jesus' words there, Matthew ten twenty eight. Remember where Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He gives us a beautiful, I think, picture of what it looks like to be working at our own faith with fear and trembling. But what might suffering it look, look like, uh, suffering it like our saviour, like Paul looked like for us? Look, I think, let, let's be honest, in this world it's unlikely to be physical floggings here in Australia, but given the trajectory of things, increasingly, um, I think, coming out as a Christian at your school or uni or workplace to your friends, your peers, your teachers, your bosses... Isn't it? There's a sort of the, the growing risk of verbal or online social media flogging. <laughs> um, you know, missing out on that promotion maybe even, or maybe even losing your job or losing some friends just because you've come out as a Christian or you're trying to stand up for Jesus. Or perhaps it's giving up your right to a lunchtime at work or a lunchtime at uni to start a Christian group near, near work or uni or, you know, or in your school. So Zach McDonald... This year, um, one other Christian student in, in the whole math science school up there, um, it, there's a Christian teacher, and they went to the Christian teacher and said, oh, would you support us if we started a Bible study group so people could come and um, have explore the truth of Jesus? And so they started this group. They put themselves out there, sacrificed at lunchtime. Of course, Paul moves on, doesn't he? Verse 21, to win those not having the law are the Greeks or the Gentiles, the lamb lovers. Okay, Paul would not only forsake, oh, <laughs> Paul would not only forsake, um, it's my favourite cut of meat as well, just by the way. Uh, Paul would not only forsake all Jewish customs, but like Jesus, he welcomed and ate with unclean sinners, didn't he? So in the words of Evangelist Sam Chan, um, Paul would go eat and do life and share life with these Greeks and Gentiles in their markets, in their streets, in their shops, in their homes, in their pubs. Now, while this didn't involve him engaging in drunkenness or debauchery, you know, engaging in sin, it did involve him shelving any talk of his elite education. Uh, he went to the best schools or his noble parentage, um, his... Um, yeah, he just lived among them, very simply, as a Christian. A mate of mine, uh, Tim Bowden, when he was having his 30th birthdays a few years ago, um, he was working as an evangelist, and, he, and he, you know, he was so excited for his birthday. He had like 50 people coming. It was going to be epic. And then he realised that all the people coming were Christian, <laughs> and here he was working as an evangelist, like... <laughs> So he actually rung up 20 of his Christian friends and explained to them why they were now uninvited <laughs> so he could invite 20 
unbelievers uh, who didn't necessarily count as friends, but he knew them, they were acquaintances. I don't know what it looks like for us. Here's an idea, uh, Carl, for the church. Uh, Rick and Daniel Maud, so Rick Maud, he runs Tea Tree Gully Church up there, right? Uh, um, and um, he used to work with BCA as field staff at Lightning Ridge between 2002 and 2007. And Rick was sharing with me how he used to take a carton of beer down to the truck shop <laughs> um, to sit, just have one beer with all the truckies, just to engage them, to get their interest, to, to talk to them about Jesus. And he said it was one of the most successful things he did the whole time he was in Lightning Ridge. Yeah, I think for us, and most simply, in the busyness of our lives, it's, it's encouragement of where, where can we intentionally become a little less busy, um, find a couple of extra hours a week, just once a week, where we can create space to have people come and sit around our table, just to show hospitality. Um, I guess that willingness to experience to, to eat and drink and share life in our homes and around our tables with an eye to people who may be a little uh, uh, different to us. Maybe they don't come, haven't walked the path we've walked. They, um, yeah, Christians, non-Christians. A mate of mine, um, some of you know Dan Pete. Uh, he, he's a great Christian guy. He was over in America for a year as a part of his PhD studies and he joined this fantastic church he said it was just brilliant gospel church so warm so welcoming but he said yeah it's interesting though like i was there for a whole year i didn't get one invite home to anyone's place for lunch interesting isn't it and be friendly for an hour on a sunday what does it look like to actually expand that verse 22 to the week i became weak unlike the jews and gentiles we know from chapter 8 that the week they're already christian what does Paul mean to win the week? Well, in chapter 8, you've got Paul agreeing with some of the more knowledgeable Christians there who are saying that an idol has no real existence, that there's no one but God. Sure, you can eat and drink what you want. That's part of how the gospel sets us free. Food's got nothing to do with your relationship with God. But what does Paul say, verse 13? If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. I'll become a vegetarian. I'll even strap lettuce leaves to myself if I need to. <laughs> Chapter 9, verse 12. What does he say? We endure anything, including 39 lashings, rather than hinder the way of the gospel of Christ. That little word hinder, this is the only time it occurs anywhere in the New Testament. It means a cutting into and it was used referring to an army breaking up a road or a bridge to prevent an enemy's advance it's a pretty powerful image the last thing i ever want to be for another fellow human being is to be that person who's destroyed the road in front of them for the gospel to advance in their life Now, I want to be really clear here that the pastoral context here is a love issue around how we wisely and flexibly exercise our rights, our gospel rights that come in the freedom of the gospel. So this is not about, you know, the hypocrisy between say one thing, do another. Or whatever. This, is, this is actually, you actually are free to do this, but 
in that exercising that freedom you may become a road crusher a bridge destroyer for the gospel to advance in that person's life so this is a love issue um invited over um to my mate's daughter's wedding sitting there um and you had to um it was the kids doing everything so if you wanted to drink you sort of went over to the local bottle and, and brought a bottle of wine or a you know six pack of beer whatever it was so sitting down and um had a, um, had a bottle of wine on the table and stuff and, um, and some beers. And, and then there was Adam. I'd met Adam a few times. Adam is someone who my mate Carl had met and um, I'd befriended, him and his wife, Alicia. Um, and I offered, hey, hey, mate, do you want to have a beer? And he said, oh, no, mate, no, 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 I'm an alcoholic. He said, if I have one, I'll have 20. So I thought, okay. Quietly put everything back under the table and drank water for the night. Now, we've all been there. What I've tried to illustrate is working this stuff out, we've got to be agile. Always got to, always got to have the radar on. We've got to be always you know, working out who we've got to have me be in this moment for this human being that might help the gospel advance and not actually hinder its progress in that person's life. Verses 24 to 27, that, that whole image, isn't it, of the Olympics, the danger of being disqualified, I've called it. Um, it's another example of... Paul gives about himself, isn't it? As he's trying to instruct these Corinthians to stay in their lane, to stay in the lane of the gospel. What does he say? Do you not know that a race, all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, he's taking us to the Olympic Stadium of the Isthmian Games. It's held every, it was held every two years just outside Corinth. And he's using this image to remind us, isn't it, Christian believers, that we'd have the same attitude as an Olympic athlete. The Apostle Paul is absolutely convinced that there is nothing of greater value than, than chasing after to win in this world than your salvation and the salvation of others nothing more precious the imperishable prize available to everyone who believes in jesus is eternal life it's entrance into the kingdom of god and so what does paul say you know don't be one of these complacent sit back relax christians don't be aimless if the Christian hope of being bodily raised to eternal life is an historical reality, then, according to Paul, the last thing we'll be doing is living aimlessly or thoughtlessly or being complacent about our salvation, but also about the salvation of others. Of course, we can't win or save anyone. God does all of that. But there's a part to play. And so... Successful athletes, they know they need to be self-controlled and disciplined if they're to run well and win. It seems every few weeks there's another round of stories of, you know, I follow the AFL, you know, footballers have, you know, <laughs> been undisciplined, lost self-control, and it's come at a cost. It affects the team as well. Like an Olympic athlete whose diet and training is all geared to winning the wreath or the gold medal, how much more will followers of Jesus be purposely living self-controlled and disciplined lives fleeing sin 
That's strong language, fleeing sin. How much more will we be careful to not be loving and being lorded over by material and worldly idols? Careful I don't get out of control. According to Paul, being disqualified and missing out on winning the most important race of your life is a sad and sober possibility. He'd spent 40 hours a week for 15 years of his life getting up at 4am to train. Finally, his dream was realised. It had just been announced that he had made the Australian swimming team at the Beijing Olympics. The year is 2008 and the name is Nick Darcy. To celebrate, he went out that night, had one or two drinks, too many. He got into a bit of a scuffle with a fellow swimmer, Simon Cowler, assaulted him, broke his eye socket. The very next day, it was announced Nick Darcy was disqualified and he was kicked off the team. Missed out on his dream. He had disqualified himself. You might remember in the 2000 Olympics, the, the Australian walker, Jane Saville, um, a 20-kilometre walking race, 200 metres from the finish line. She's in front. Suddenly out jumps the official red flag. You're disqualified. You ever been disqualified from something, though, that really mattered to you? Can't even begin to imagine what it's like to arrive, stand before Jesus, and he holds up the red flag. Disqualified. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I should find myself disqualified. I'm sure we all know people who are no longer among us. They no longer call themselves Christian, living as Christians. It's very sad. We've got some Christian friends who are really active as younger Christians. In fact, God used <laughs> to lead quite a few people to Christ. But they no longer identify as Christians. They're not living as Christians. They've left the gospel lane, no longer running towards the finish line that Jesus is waiting for them at. Paul's saying this to these noble, well-taught well Christians here in Corinth, perhaps like some of us here this morning, that in your knowledge you become proud, puffed up, complacent. Rather than showing itself in sacrificial servant love of one another and of people still to become Christian, you guys have started drifting outside the gospel lane. You're in danger of being disqualified. Their lovelessness, self-centeredness, that they become a stumbling block to people in the church and outside the church. Bill, not his real name, uh, is a fellow medico and churchgoer on leadership of young adults. He had a bit of a knack of getting people along to church. A few even led to faith. I ended up catching up, bumping up to with Bill uh, some years later, actually. Asked how church was going. Said, oh, well, actually, after getting married, you know, we moved and we never ended up finding another church because life sort of got a bit busy and you know kids came family and and you wouldn't believe oh my work took off and I was sitting pretty you know he started telling me about his house his holiday house 
his boat. <laughs> um, where are you at in your faith with God? Oh, yeah, no, I probably don't believe that stuff anymore. See, it's like bracket, it's just, you know, like the way interest rates creep up or whatever. This is how it happens. It's by stealth. But I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with these words. There's Paul words at the end of this section. Um, chapter 10, verses 31. Chapter 11, verse 1. Just in case you might be wondering, sitting there thinking, well, you know, it doesn't really apply to me. That's Paul. He's an apostle. What does Paul say? Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence to unbelievers or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And here's the stinger. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's a command. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can I pray for us? Most Heavenly Father, we just praise and thank you for who you are in your immeasurable love and goodness, forgiveness and grace, all displayed for us in the cross of your Son. Father, thank you that in the gospel of your Son, it is for human beings who are broken, who have doubts, who are imperfect, who are sinful. It's not a gospel for the perfect, but for the imperfect. It's a gospel for us. Father, how we need this gospel. How we need you, the wisdom and the power of your love and grace in Jesus, to keep instructing us and showing us in the way to go. To encourage us, to spur us on like that encouraging parent at the end of the race. Or, Father, those words that we need to hear that are uncomfortable, we need to hear to help keep us in the gospel lane, running to the finish line that matters. Pray for all my brothers and sisters here this morning and those out in the bush. We pray your mercy, but by your grace we go. In Jesus' name, amen.